Again, you picked a great day to be here, honestly. I don't believe we're here by accident. I don't believe there's people here online by accident. I believe that God has destined our steps. We're going to continue in our journey walking through Ephesians. So if you guys want to get ready to go to Ephesians 3, again, we're continuing just breaking down and walking through Ephesians and what, what Ephesians means. And, and how, as Paul was writing this, um, he wrote this letter reminding us that we're not who we think we are. We're who God says we are. See, we don't get to define who we are. No more than a pot, you know, a, a, a clay pot gets to decide what it's going to become. The artist and the creator decides what that pot will become. And Isaiah had a, had a vision of that in, in when he was talking with God of, of God led him to a potter's house. And, and Isaiah's like, okay, I, I, I'm not getting what you're trying to tell me, God. And he's like, well, just like this potter, when he's creating his design and he doesn't like it, he starts over. He goes, that's what I can do with you. I can take your brokenness and heal it and put you back together and create exactly what I, and do exactly what I called you to be in your life if you let me. And that's what Paul's trying to get the Ephesians to understand. Because there's a lot of tension in the Ephesian church going on. Jews and Gentiles not getting along because, again, nationalities, races, genders, everything, we're always hostile towards each other. But what we need to remember, even in our Christian walk and even with following Jesus, that every false view of who God is comes down to two things. We minimize God and exalt ourselves. See, as a team we've talked about, we don't want to do anything that God's not leading. Why? Because even though we have talent, our talent is worthless without God leading it. You all have talents. God has given you guys all something specific for your life. But he's not asking you to do it. He's saying, do you trust me with it? Are you going to let me lead you and use those gifts that I've given you? And that's what we want to let God do. Because remember, back when we, when we were going through week one in the beginning of this, Paul starts reminding us that we're chosen. He reminds us that we've already been redeemed. He reminds us that we've already been forgiven. And he's telling us we're already accepted and that we have to stop wanting more. Now that verse that Paul talks about is learn to be content. Now again, you can use that and be a slacker. I'm just content with what I have. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying learn to be happy with what you got, but keep striving for what God has. Because God always has somewhere else to take you. He never wants you to stay where you're at. Which is why over the last few weeks, again, I've, it's really been impressed on me that I've started going through my courses again to finish off my ordination. Because God's not done with what I'm doing yet. And if I stop learning, I stop leading. And so I have to always be reading. I have to always be learning. I have to always be listening to other people. I have to be humble enough to understand I ain't got it figured out. And the easiest way for me to do that is to understand that God already accepts me for who I am so I can keep moving forward. He doesn't want me to be somebody I'm not. Week two, we continued in that thought process. And Paul says, okay, now that you understand you're accepted and you're forgiven, this is who you are. Now start acting like it. As parents, how many of you have ever said that to your kids? Yeah, we all have. What are you, two? No, you're 12. Start acting like it. Well, God did the same, does the same thing to me. 
You're like, what are you, 20? No, you're 50. Act like it. Grow up. And that's what Paul is telling us. He goes, okay, again, I, I got to stop feeding you milk. I got to start feeding you some steak. But unless you start getting some teeth, you can't eat the steak. And God's saying, get into my word so I can sharpen them teeth and you can start eating steak and you can start doing more. Now, again, following Jesus stretches us. It makes us uncomfortable. But so does going to the gym, because guess what? I'm sore today. I went and lifted a lot harder than I should have, because it had been about a month since I had been there. But I decided, hey, let's do a full upper body workout and go one exercise to the next. And I woke up yesterday, and I'm like, okay, I'm a little sore today. <laughs> well, day two, guess what? It's always sore. But I understand that, guess what? It's also healthy. Well, guess what? So is being stretched by God. It's healthy. It strengthens our faith. And Paul was talking about that. And we saw in Paul's first prayer in Ephesians, when we understand how precious we are to Christ, we're never going to see ourselves as we used to be. When we understand who we truly are, we can start living out our purpose. See, through knowledge and understanding of the Holy Spirit and experiencing God on a new level, we can live out our faith for others to see because we're not worried what they're going to think. And so we become stronger. Week three, we talked and we looked at the thought that religious behavior may make us a better person, but only Christ makes us new. We are made new in Christ. We looked at the problem of doing basic religious things, coming singing some songs, reading our five-minute devotional in the morning, and that's the only time we spend with God. And that's pretty much it. We do our basic things that we have to do, kind of like your job. You do what, only what you have to. You don't go above and beyond. We do just the bare minimum. We're happy with ourselves. But God's saying, no, I want you to do more. I, I want you to learn more. I want you to become more. See, truly accepting and living as we're new means we're going to continually grow. When we, when we stop growth, we don't, that new life stops growing. And so we want to constantly be changing. We talked about how God's invited us into his family and how life with Jesus isn't about no fun, but it's about living with no regrets. It's about living guilt-free. It's about being able to wake up the next morning and be happy with yesterday. Again, I remember my pre-salvation self. There were many days I woke up and wondered what I did the day before. Or I knew what I did the day before and I felt very guilty for it. See, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but again, some of you, again, knowing my testimony a little bit, used to fight a lot. And the problem with it was is I always felt bad afterwards because I hurt somebody. I'm like, that's not how you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to be happy because you won. But I felt, always felt bad. Now, as I sat and prayed this week and God and I were talking about this, is that exact same zeal I had back then is what God had always wanted me to be. He had to reshift my focus. So that same determination I had back then is the same determination I have today. It's just a determination to follow Jesus and do, do what he's called me to do. That, that, that anger that I had that he released me from has turned into a zeal for his church and for him. See, he takes those things that you thought are shortcomings in your personality and can tweak them to become the very thing that is the catalyst for your faith. So let him use it. 
Don't think of them as bad things. Don't think of them as, 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 you know, okay, this is just a personality flaw. Well, yeah, use the wrong way. It is a flaw. But use the right way. It's a flame. So we turn it over to God and we let him lead us. Week four, we talked about last week. I, I'm hoping you guys went home last week and started tearing down those bricks. Started tearing down those walls one brick at a time. Started forgiving people. Started forgiving yourself. We ch- remember, I asked you to choose one thing last week and write it down and get rid of it. Stop hanging on to it. History is just that. It's history. You want to not relive history? Don't repeat it. And the way to not repeat it is to learn from it and move on. And so we had to take those things that, that we felt guilty about, that th- those things we had shame about, and turn them over to Christ. And so, okay, they're no longer mine to have. Now today we're going to get into chapter 3. And as, as we continue, I, I want you to see how this is just, how this is coming, it's, it's growing. It's each week is, is building upon each week. Again, remember when the Bible was written, there weren't chapters, there weren't verses. It was a letter. And so it makes more sense when you start reading this in letter thought process. Understanding that everything does build. Everything that Ephesians is writing is saying, here's where you started, here's where we're going to go to. And so we need to continually build on what, what Paul is teaching us through the Holy Spirit. It renews our, our strength and it builds our hope. You see, when we start tearing down walls, God can start building up His church. When we start releasing things and breaking down strongholds, we start releasing freedom. When we, when we understand we've been given grace, we can give grace but we have to understand it all first see we're smashing the lines of defense the enemy has put around our lives and around our church and around our communities and we're going to give grace out we're not going to get into fights over silly things because i'm sorry but that is happening everywhere you look today the stuff we argue about today is is stuff that when i was growing up we wouldn't even give a second thought to but everything is an argument nowadays. And sorry to say, it's always about winning. Well, Christ and Jesus won me. That's it. So he gets to win, I don't. And he's going to win, whether we like it or not. And so what are we doing? And is it, it, it's not because of anything we can do but everything we're doing is because of what Jesus has already done. See, we don't have to redo all this. And if you jump into chapter 3 today in verse 1, I'm going to read out, uh, let's just pick, we'll pick the New Living Translation this morning. And Paul starts this off and says, when I think of all this, again, can you see the letter format, how he's building? He's saying, when I think of everything we just talked about at the beginning of this letter, Paul I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Now, if you understand how this is written, okay, and you study, which none of you guys probably studied this as much as I did, which is okay, you shouldn't. I'm trying to get this so it makes sense to me. Where, where he says Gentiles then, that's actually a pause till we get to verse 14. 
everything between here and verse 14, Paul is explaining this first part. And then there's a break. That's why I don't know, some of you guys might have three dots. Some of you guys might have a line after your verse or a dash after your verse or things like that. And so he's, he's building his thought process here on the rest of 12 through 13. We're not going to get to 14 today, but understand that's where we're going to get to next week. And it's the second prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians in verse 14. And he says, benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending grace to you Gentiles. As I brief, briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mystery, mysterious plans to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that, that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in which rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of, our, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. So dear Heavenly Father, as we come and break this down this morning, God, again, as I pray every week, you have one unique thing to say to every person listening this morning. God, please, please prepare their heart and ears to hear that. If it's not a word from me, awesome, God, I want them to hear from you this morning. I want them to hear what you have to tell them this morning, God, so that they can walk out of here again with a new hope, better than they walked in here with. And God, we ask you again just to let your Holy Spirit take over this place and prepare us to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, he started this off for this reason, um, is how I had it in my NASB version. When I think of all this, Paul is going through all this. Paul is, is, is trying. Paul's a prisoner at this point. Okay, dude's locked up in jail. You know, we have a hard morning getting here in our car and get upset. Paul's in jail, okay? He had, had a little bit worse than we, most of us have. He's a prisoner of the state, and he wrote these words to the Ephesians in that thought process. Think about that. Dude is in prison and he's writing words of encouragement to love one another. See, he's chained because he simply refused to quit preaching about Jesus. He was threatened, he was stoned, he was whipped, he was beaten, and he was thrown in jail. And he refused to stop preaching about the love of Jesus. Dude was passionate. How many of us can, can say that same thing? That I would endure that for Jesus. See, that, that challenges me. Again, I'm not talking about you guys. This is me and God discussing things. And you're getting to hear what God talks to me about. 
See, he's paying for his allegiance to Jesus. He does not complain or caution to slow down in what he writes. Paul was not ashamed, but through this, he taught us to love our enemies. See, initially, Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Paul was a Jew. Remember? Uh, when he was still Saul, he was persecuting the church. He was going around and arresting Christians. And all of a sudden, one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus, he had an experience. Let's say that with Jesus. See, too often we're afraid nowadays of emotions to not have an experience with Jesus. Paul is reminding us that we have to have more than just intellectual knowledge. We have to experience God. When we come to worship and you feel a little bit of emotion when you're worshiping, don't stop it. Go with it. Because you're experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're reading Scripture and all of a sudden, you know, it, it gets you right here and you get kind of teared up. You get that lump in your throat. Keep reading and pressing in because it's God trying to get you to experience Him on a new level. Again, I love how um, Louis Giglio gave a sermon. We always talk about the longest 18 inches is from our head to our heart. He actually flipped the script and it's actually from our knees to the floor. When we experience God, life changes. When we learn about God, we become religious. We have to keep the balance. We have to learn who God is and experience Him in that holiness. It's why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't just say, look at the... I'm okay. You guys all grill, right? You get a good piece of meat on the grill. Y'all just stand back and look at it. Are you waiting to taste that thing? That's what God's doing to us this morning. He's saying, stop standing back and just looking at me and seeing how good I am. Step up to the plate and taste and see how good I am. He is saying, let's take this to a whole nother level. He's saying, I, and, and Paul's encouraging the Ephesians. He's saying, understand this. I am in jail, but I am in jail for you. Don't, don't worry about it. Because I'm doing exactly what Jesus called me to do. And he said, if I get to come or if I don't get to come, guess what? I'm good. Because I know at the end of the day, everything I go through in this life pales in comparison to what I'm going to receive in heaven. So I can go through a little bit of junk here to have the glory there. And so he's encouraging them to love their former enemies. In, in verses 2-6, through six, we see Paul reminds us we're not given this grace for us. He says... Understand, I have the responsibility of extending this grace to you. Now that's another challenge. He says, see, my forgiveness isn't for me. I was forgiven to give it to you. Now what if I can't forgive somebody because they really hurt my feelings? I'm not bigger than God and that scares me. Because God says, if you can't forgive, I can't forgive you. Now, I take the Bible literally, and that's what it says. And so God's saying, guess what? And Paul's saying here in Ephesians, guess what? I'm going through all this, and God gave me this grace for you, not for me. See, as God revealed himself to us, and he revealed the mystery, which was Jesus, to us, it brought hope. And that's what we get to bring to the world. See, you're not bringing 
some Bible verses you learned to your friends and family. Although they do have a place, you are bringing the creator and the writer and author of those words with you to your friends and family. He's the one who changes things. How many of y'all know people that don't believe the Bible? How many of y'all know you can't argue them to believe it? How many of you know that you can share Jesus with them by your life and never say a word? There was a missionary, I can't remember who it was right now, he basically said that. His whole messages, most of the time, was you know, basically share the gospel, You use words if you have to. Let your light shine before men so they will glorify God, is what the Bible says. And so we don't want to be like everyone else. You shouldn't be like everyone else. And Paul reminds us in verses 2 through 6 that there is no religion. There's just Jesus. There is no nationalities. There is no genders. There is no race. There's just Jesus. And so we want to focus on Jesus. Why? Because he's given us the message of reconciliation. And reconciliation is performed in what? Jesus. It's not us doing it. See, we don't have to do this. We just watch our own bobber and follow Jesus. Verses 7 through 9, Paul says, in verses 8 and 9, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. In other words, Paul is telling us again the good news, the gospel message that we have, isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm the very least deserving. Now, understand in how Paul wrote the letters, this was one of the last letters he had written. So he went from being a saint and apostle among all to being the least what happened? He started to understand more and more who he was in Jesus and understood it was all about Jesus and what Jesus had done. And his job was to just share Jesus. See, when we get our eyes off ourselves and we get our eyes off our church and we get our eyes off our ministries and our perceived problems and we focus on Jesus, we make his name glorious we let others see who He is through us. They see joy that will increase in our lives and theirs. And we don't have to be bitter. We can become better. Because see, today again, as we look around, there's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of hostility. And Paul is, Paul is, Paul is encouraging us through this that whether you agree with that person or not, Jesus loves them. Because it's not about what you think, it's about what I've done. And so as we experience Jesus, and we experience a new level of, of love from Him and a new level of grace, we can start to speak like Paul did in these verses where he was recognizing at this point that he was a murderer. He had murdered Christians. He was still a sinner. 
He still did things wrong. But mostly he was recognizing that his joy wasn't found in his circumstances and in himself. His joy is found in Jesus. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, when we start to see ourselves and understand that we're part of His Gospel, you all have a part to play in it. None of you were recruited and chosen to stand on the sidelines. You all have to get in the game. And Paul is encouraging us that, guess what? You have got the best team owner in all of sports in our Father. You have got the best coach in all of sports in Jesus. And you have got the best strength conditioning coach in all of the world and the Holy Spirit living in you. It's not up to you to make the game plan. He's already given you the game plan. It's Christ, Him crucified. And when we start to get more and more of that into our lives, we see everyone we come in contact with as an opportunity for God to move. It's why this morning when I talked about not being in the building, our building this week, it wasn't something, a challenge, it was an opportunity. Can we get creative? Can we figure out how to still reach kids without our comforts? And it was an opportunity to see God do something. Or do we see work as a challenge? Or do we see people we don't agree with as a challenge? Or do we see opportunities for God to move? I was reading a book um, one time, and he talks about how his church had gotten to such a point in their relationship with God and, and desire to see miracles happening that when somebody would come in with, to their church with cancer, it wasn't seen as a problem. It was seen as an opportunity for God to heal. What if we start seeing our challenges as opportunities for God to show up? And believe, I mean really believe He's going to show up. See, I think a lot of times we say we want prayer and we say we want these things, but then it always comes back for me because this is stuff I deal with. It comes back to me where, where Jesus is talking to the dude at, at the pool at Bethesda and says, do you want to be healed? Well, um, you know, I like having this to complain about God. You know, if you took care of all these things, what would, I, what would I have to bitch about? Sorry. That's the only word I could think of that fit. See, God, Jesus is asking us the majority of the time when we pray for healing, do you really want to be healed? You believe I can. You know, mind-wise, you, you think I can. But do you really know I will? Now again, God's sovereign. Don't, don't ask me why he doesn't heal everybody because I do not know, but I know he's in charge. The more people I pray for, the more I get healed. That's all I know. No one I pray for, no one's going to get healed with me praying for him. See, I have to do it. And then God's in charge of the rest of it. See, in verse 10 and 11, as we get ready to wrap this up, as Paul is speaking here of what the gospel does, is it glorifies God. It brings us to God through faith in Christ, and that wisdom should be put on display through his church. I love that thought process. How many of you guys have ever thought about that? That God designed all this, us, his body, his church, to put his grace on display for angels. That's what his word says. He says, I'm doing this through you so the people in heavenly realms see what you can do. 
That's what his words say. How are you guys not excited about that? My goodness. You dry your guys' wicks out or something. I mean, think about that. That's what he's saying here. He said it was God's purpose in all this to use the church to display his wisdom. He wants to use you to display his wisdom, it says, to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He says, I want you to go break down the strongholds because I've given you everything you need in Jesus. Watch me do it and watch them be in awe. That's what God does through us. That's what God's called us to be. So I want you to think about four things that jumped out in these verses to me today that I want you to take home with you today and think about and keep building your faith in your life in Jesus. See, we've all been called to share our faith and, and the strength to stand for what's right, even though everything around us seems out of sorts. God's saying, you do the right thing and I'll be with you. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. He just says he'll be with you. All right, and as we look down and we see verses 1 through 6, what we see is our privilege. See, we have been given the Holy Spirit to understand the mystery that we are all invited to Jesus through his sacrifice and resurrection. It's not just for a select few. It says all who call on the name of the Lord can be saved or shall be saved. See, none of us are worthy to be with God, but God made a way through his Son. We're saved by grace, but he uses us as well because of his grace. Second thing we saw after we've seen our privileges, we see our position. See, we are called to be ministers, all of us. We are called to share his good news. There aren't pastors' job to build a church and build a ministry and invite everybody and preach everything. That is your job. My job actually is to equip you guys to go out and do ministry. How many of y'all knew that? Yeah. It's your job to do the ministry. It's my job to teach you. Now, if I don't do ministry, I can't ask you to. So I'm not lazy about it. I have, I have thought about it this morning. I have never asked anybody here to do anything I haven't done or won't do. That's just not a good leader. And so it's my job to teach you guys, and your position is to understand that it's your job to go share this with people. See, when you, when you think you're not good enough, I love this when you think about it. When you think you're not good enough, God has you exactly where he wants you. Because you ain't. And, we, and I, the book by Kyle Eidelman that I was kind of looking back on this week is the end of me. Where I end is where Jesus begins. So I want to get to the end of my rope because then I can get there with Jesus because then there's no more about me. So my position is to go out and share this. Verses 9 through 11 talk about our purpose. We're all called to share that in a way that draws people closer to Jesus, not tells them how wrong they are. My prayer shifted this week, just as kind of, I want to give you just kind of a transparent moment. As I'm praying for things, and I'm praying for families, and I'm praying for my family, and stuff like that, I had, God had to smack me upside my head and say, why do you keep praying the problems that you want to change rather than claim the victory I've already given you? So my prayer started to change to say, guess what, God, this is what I see in their life. This is what you're doing in their life. Meet them at this level in their life. Don't take those things away. Why? Because those things will go away when they understand who they are. See, I'd gotten on the defense, on the defensive with my prayers. Saying, God, do what you can do to get their attention. And I, last night I had to stop praying that prayer. 
And it wasn't do what you need to do to get their attention, God. It was God, show up and show them who they are in you. See, we've got to change how we're looking at things. God, and again, that's what God talked to me about this week. And especially last night as I was sitting there. So as we draw people closer to Jesus, we find our purpose that God created us for. And verse 12, the last one, we got our position, our purpose. First one, sorry. Our privilege, our position, our purpose, and then our power. Our power is accomplished through faith. It's not because we can do it. It's because Jesus has done it. All we got to do is draw close to Him. See, it's the power of God that makes us effective in sharing His good news. And if we think about it, why is the Gospel called good news? Because you can be set free. As a prisoner, are there any better words to hear than you're free? See, we're all prisoners. The Bible says you're either going to be a slave to sin or a slave to God. You can't serve God and money, it says. There's all kinds of warnings about stuff. But again, if we see ourselves as understanding that we all have problems, we all have things wrong, but again, the best thing that Christ did for us, it says because of Christ and our faith in Him, we now get to come boldly before the throne room of God. And I love this picture. I will never lose this picture in my mind of, again, the only people that could interrupt the king's court, not even his wife, his kids. If his son walked into the throne room and he's in the middle of a high-pressure meeting, you know what happens? He shuts everything down for his child. And this is what God does. And God looks at me, and again, call me sentimental, call me whatever, I'm like, he like, come here, son. Come sit on daddy's lap. And this is the creator of the universe doing this for us. How did that not get you right here? Picture that. God's saying, just come here. No, no, you guys can wait. This, the affairs of the state can wait. This is my child. Come here. And he will wrap you in his arms and give you a sense of strength and purpose, and love, and grace, and you experience the Father. It goes from knowledge to experience.